Hello and welcome to the Manitobaville community. And this is the podcast aspect of that community. I am Mahangel. And today we are speaking with Chris Burke Gaffney. Uh, you may remember some of the things that came, uh, came through his mind and his hands and his musical instruments into uh, radio stations and zapped out into your radio sets in your car, in your workplace, in your friend's house, the albums you bought, the things you played, the socials. You probably went to socials. You may have you may have seen him play. You may have you definitely have heard his music. Uh, look it up, the Pumps, Orphan. You know, just to name like two that he was directly involved with. There's all kinds of stuff. He's uh, out on the road now playing with Harlequin. So uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be had still in the Chris Burke Gaffney verse, universe, as it were, CBGB. I always thought he should have a band called CBGB, but that would probably um, conflict with the uh, now defunct CBGB's nightclub. But, you know, you could pick that up, pick it up as a little moniker, and off you go. But not likely, C- CBG. Out, also a, a performance uh, artist development man. He will take your latent talent. You're in... Not latent, I guess. He'll take, well, maybe if you have latent talent, why not? If you don't know what that means, then um, go to Google fast. But he'll take your natural talent and help you develop it into, I guess, a talent that could later become latent. <laughs> so, you know, why not? Uh, but amazing stuff happening. Amazing stuff happening. And uh, in his mind, I had the pleasure to visit Chris a number of years ago. And we went out there and... Uh, had a chat, had a chat with Chris, and a lot of good stuff comes from that discussion that will be played in this interview today. All right, Manitobaville is the word. That's your community word for the day and for the week and for the month and the year coming along. Uh, we will be around now for a long time, so tune in and uh, turn on. And uh, yeah. <laughs> don't drop out. Uh, don't drop out of yeah. Drop out of whatever podcast you're listening to and drop into ours. That's the way to do it. That's how you want to do it, I guess. And you want to have your mind blown with every interview we do because it is so fun to talk to people and see what they're all about and what they've gone through in their life because that's a lot of fun to do. I really enjoy that. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, um, Manitobaville, look for it on social media if you want, and look for it in podcatchers. If somebody says, hey, where do you find that podcast you, you talked about you like so much there, and you say, well, what podcatcher do you use? And they'll say, well, I use whatever podcatcher I use, and you'll say, well, all you have to do is use the word Manitobaville. That's the word that we're spreading around, and you can find the podcast. And then you'll find all of the wonderful episodes, including this one, which you're listening to right now, believe it or not. Okay, so uh, let's jump into that interview. We'll just jump over this break here and uh, see what's going on in the commercial world before we get to Chris Burke Gaffney and a great discussion about music, hockey, and everything.
Yeah, so, so uh, what's the deal with you guys? You're doing a podcast, and the first thing I thought is, well, I better Google these dudes and make sure they're for real. Uh, and when you couldn't find anything, what did you panic? Well, I did see something <laughs> about dairy farming or something and starting yeah. back or something like that. Uh, Saint, Saint Claude, yeah. So did you think you'd, you'd fit right in then? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a I'm a rural guy. I'm, uh, well, I don't know how much you guys know about me, but I... I, I do a lot of country music as well as uh, being a former wannabe rock star. Yeah, well, you're a rock star for, you're, you crested with everybody else. Yeah, former. The big 80s wave, the notable band. rock star, yeah. yeah. Actually, I've been doing more playing lately. I joined Harlequin recently. I saw that on your post yeah. there, yeah. You're, gonna, you're playing bass in that one. You're a bass yep. player. Well, I play guitar too. Actually, ironically, 25 years ago or something like that uh, or 20 years ago when Glenn Willows who was a good friend of mine mm -hmm. uh, the original guitar player from Harlequin had to go on vacation or something happened I did fill on fill in on guitar as well once for a week yeah That's I wasn't fun. that good though because yeah. uh, but it was a lot of a lot of songs to learn yeah or, uh, well they had, they had certain style of songs too like his sensibility was, was so fun because their songs were a little I I don't quirky or just like I grew up to that stuff like on the radio out in the car driving around and yeah. truck or whatever a and, and the Harlequin songs were yeah they're sort of like street heart songs they were the other way but they had that thing to it yeah. like they're catchy and uh, offbeat in a way but still driving and fun yeah yeah you know? you're right and yeah. then we'd hear your stuff a little more poppy some uh, of the orphans or the pump songs came through and there like it was just Winnipeg at that time had a real had its own sound going well it's just good i mean you're driving around and you're listening to uh all the big hits coming up from all over the world in those days it's all filtered right by people that are letting the gate that that door was really small to get on the radio you had to run a lot of run a lot of gauntlets to get there into that playlist so you're hearing top songs all the way up and then you start hearing that stuff mixed in with it and it's like right there and it's like this is fine i still listen one of my favorite full album listens uh, not super high volumes, but just a good enveloping volume is still the first Street Heart album, front to back. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good one. You know, like, just amazing. And then it's like, why'd he leave? <laughs> you know, because it, it started changing. But then they had good hits after. Like a real, like you can fill up an album with their hits after, which they did with their greatest hits. But it's like, you know, it's just good. You know, and then all the other stuff that came around that, like the Harlequin songs, like uh, uh, Success was a pump song. Yeah. And then Orphan had, what was the... the big, miracle. I, miracle, yeah. Because I can remember the song. I can't remember the name. Well, it goes, it's a miracle. That's a clue. Mm -hmm. it, that's a, I should have picked up on that. But I can never <laughs> remember certain things sometimes. But they're great. And the production was good, too. And a lot of that stuff was produced in Winnipeg, too, right? Uh, like no, produced. no. Well, you know what? Actually, some street horror records were. Yeah. Um, I know Harlequin went off to New York with... Yeah. Um, What's his name? Well, our, uh, the Pumps record was done uh, in Morin Heights. Uh, uh, very prestigious uh, studio in, in Quebec. Uh, where John Lennon and David Bowie and a lot of Rush did a lot of their records there. Uh, and then the first Orphan record was done at the Power Station in New York. Okay. And the second Orphan record was nice. done uh, in Long Island. At Billy Joel's house? <laughs> no, it was actually, you know, strangely you say Billy Joel's house, yeah. 
Do you remember Alda Nova? Yeah, yeah. We stayed at his house. I loved house. Alda Nova. We stayed at his house. Uh, yeah. Hey, put that yeah. on and you start yeah. getting into the headspace. Yeah. But that's another example. Like those songs would come through. It's just, yeah. Anyway, so you had a, Alda Nova went on to produce Bon Jovi and a lot of other guys, right? Um, well, they were friends yeah. because uh, when um, they were, well, Bon Jovi was spent a lot of time in the New York area. Mm-hmm. He's not, a, I think he's originally Jersey, from Philadelphia or something. Or Jersey, Jersey. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, when, when we were doing our record at the power station, his uncle, Tony Bon Jovi, was our producer. Okay. Uh, so, so John Bon Jovi's real name was Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were doing that record, this is before, right before uh, John exploded with his band, he was uh, hanging around the studio a lot and sweeping the floors if, so his uncle would give him studio time and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so he was kind of like, uh, oh, you guys are awesome. You know, like hanging around. I actually wrote a song with him. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was cool. And we remained in contact for about a year until he got so big that I uh, wouldn't take my calls anymore. Yeah. And then which, when which we... song did you write with him? Um, what was it called? Did it make it on it the album? Uh, well... We, I had an idea called Saved by the Bell. Okay. And Tony said, you should write with my nephew. You know, he won the Philadelphia Songwriting Contest or something. Uh, and uh, so we wrote a song. Well, I had this. I showed him this song, and he had came up with all these lyrics that were a metaphor for Saved by the Bell, like she knocked me out with a one punch, and there was an uppercut and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not happening. And uh, so I didn't use any of his lyrics. Mm-hmm. A song called Saved by the Bell did make it on, on the Orphan record. But in retrospect, I regret that I changed that because I could have uh, written a song with uh, John Bon Jovi officially. Yeah. And now, you know, now I don't have that. Uh, so that was dumb. But um, huh. John Bon, but uh, uh, Aldenova's girlfriend her best friend was John Bon Jovi's uh, girlfriend's. Uh, and so when we were in Syosset, New York, they were hanging around there all the time and uh, yeah, doing it wild back then. And Alden Nova, was he from Toronto originally? Montreal. Montreal, yeah. Yeah, interesting sound he had. Yeah. The whole thing going on. Yeah, back in the good old days. That's, uh, I feel like an old guy saying that, but... Really well, the world's was, changed, uh, doesn't it? I wasn't even in that scene, and I feel like it's missing. You know, like I was on always on the outside of it, like growing up and just. But hearing it up through the radio, and then you read more. You read your Rolling Stone. You read your other stuff. You read the whatever. It was just more extravagant and, and yeah. excessive, and uh, the well, record more companies money. had lots yeah. of money to throw around. Yeah, because uh, they could make money off music back yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, and and that fed into the whole lifestyle of a, a yeah. rock musician. And uh, it was actually cool to be messed up on drugs. That uh, yeah. and creative. So much good music came out of that, like the late sixties, early sixties, seventies, yeah, eighties. And then everybody just said no, and the music just went uh, kind of on a on a the holistic scale. It kind of just sagged into brand rock or brand popism or whatever. And also back then, uh, you were defined by what kind of music you listened to. 
Mm-hmm. Were you a punk rocker? Were you a hard rocker? Were you, uh, yeah. uh, you know, into reggae? You were defined. That's how you dressed. That's who you hung around with. That was your culture. That was your environment. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, my kids listen to, you know, Luke Bryan mm-hmm. and Drake. You know, yeah. They have them both on their playlist, you know, so. Well, my audio teacher in Brandon in 80, probably 88, gave me his daughter at the time, who was still in high school, was listening to Fishbone. And he gave me the Fishbone album, the big one they had, their high watermark. And yeah, I remember listening to that, liking it, but then wondering, should I be? <laughs> like, is this, is this, can I listen to this? Can I enjoy this? Yeah. You know, because you sort of feel like, yeah. But then as a sort of chameleon, I think I could listen to different things. I'd listen to Yodeling Cowboys, the Wolf Carter records, stuff like that, you know, trucker songs, enjoy them all, you know, listen to the rock stuff, hang out with that crowd. And then as you grow up, you jazz, you buy a suit, you can go into different places and classical. And So yeah, do you, like back from the day then, did you, like the other thing that went along with those days was music publishing usually wasn't left with the writers, like somehow it got purchased out from under them and, and you know, there's buyouts of publishing rights and stuff like that. How did you make out in that, being a songwriter in those uh, days? Really good, really good. Um, I... Um we were lucky, uh, yeah. I mean, in the old, before my time, back it started with the blues and the Elvis Presley days, where the record companies would steal your publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but around the '90s, I think uh, in the '90s, '80s, actually, sh- I shouldn't say '90s, '70s and '80s, I think bands realized that uh, I was a gigantic revenue source. So, uh, so man- the, you know, managers were smarter. Yeah, and uh, they. So you hung on to. Like, did you hang on to most of yours that you wanted? Oh, did yeah. You feel, yeah. I did mean, you feel I, I, well, I, I've had a number of publishing deals over the year, and you have to give some. Yeah. If you want an advance, yeah. you have to give up some of your publishing. If you don't want the advance, you don't have to give any up, but then mm-hmm. uh, you don't have a publisher. Yeah. Uh, so. So with your big hits and stuff, do you still own parts of those? Well, the most money I made were not song, my own songs, or they're songs that I've written for other people. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they all had uh, publishers. What were those songs? Well, I, I wrote a lot of Chantel Crevyazic songs. Okay. Um, and I've written some country songs. I had a number one in uh, Australia not that long, uh, well, actually a couple of years ago. Who's that with? There's a band called Jetty Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one of the highest earners I ever had was with. Uh, like a pop group, a boy band called McMaster and James. Yeah. And, uh, is that the drum and bass guys? No, no, that was a full band. Yeah. I was thinking McMaster about and James was, uh, same about duo tang. They were around was, the same time. Yeah. McMaster and James were like a pop band, like, a, yeah, kind of like a boy band. Okay. Uh, around the time of shortly after NSYNC and those guys. Uh, so in 2001, um, cause I, I was their manager as well as their creative partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2001, this song, a song called Th- that I wrote called Thank You uh, was the second most played song in Canada. Nice. Uh, Celine Dion had the number one radio song and McMaster and James had the second most played song. Wow. So uh, that was my highest earner. Of and what year is that? 2001. 2001, yeah. Thank you, it was called, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and it was thanks. I was plagiarized Canada. a little bit because when we were doing when we were writing when I was writing that song, I was thinking, well, 
they're kind of like pop this pop is kind of like pseudo r&b so um i listened to marvin gaye's uh, sexual healing and i pretty much the same song with yeah. different lyrics he never sued you <laughs> no it wasn't big enough in the states for them to uh, yeah well that's the thing too it's probably like it can be so easy to move off of a um a melody line or a, a a lyric well lyrics probably all completely different but you're probably talking melody was probably where you're sort of meeting his song a little bit but well i just, just kind of listened to it and yeah. there was but it doesn't the take chords. much like if i heard one of your like say say one of your say success for example and then i went and wrote a song that sort of sounded like it but i could make sure legally it was far enough away yeah, yeah. that yeah, yeah so probably by by intuition you didn't write the same song you just wrote a song inspired by it exactly yeah yeah, and you can't you can't uh, like a, a rhythm track and riffs and stuff you can't publish anyway, like you don't you can't um, you have no rights over that as far as publishing they're only dealing with lyrics and melody right, so yeah but but the whole thing is like that's why you like certain songs because they sound like other songs like there's yeah. it's innate in the person listening you're gonna have a style you like so there's gonna be a lot of songs like that so. Unless you're completely directly ripping off a song, you're not likely to have any trouble. You're just gonna have more fans than some sales. Yeah, there have been a couple of uh, high-profile cases though. Uh, remember the Sam Smith with Tom Petty? Yeah, which song was that? Uh, was Sam Smith's huge hit? I forget the name of it. Yeah. Uh, and what Tom Petty song was it? I think it was "Won't Back Down." Yeah. And well, it's like the Lennon songs, like in the the. Was it? Um, here comes old flat top. Here come old flat top. Yeah. And that was a Chuck Berry song. Was yeah. Chuck Berry, yeah. But he's like, he like completely ripped off the whole melody of it. The whole, you know, and and so you pay for those. Yeah. Well, and the and the, the old Led Zeppelin songs where they would just they label it as traditional, but it was actually not. It was written by a guy who's still alive. You know. <laughs> and it's yeah. like It's like sorry, you just can't take our song and cover it and not give credit. You know, those are complete cover songs, like, like, like redoing the song. I think they've rectified them though. They paid, yeah. uh, they paid them the royalties, and uh, yeah, after they, yeah, they're hauled in a few times to, to deal with those kind of things. There's one they didn't though. Was was that other one that went on and the guy couldn't win it? Was he suing Stairway to Heaven? Remember that big? That was a few yeah. years ago, when a guy really pushed for that, and he said, no, it's based on one of my songs from, way back. And you listen to them, and they're kind of similar, but not really. Not the same thing. And he didn't win. It would have been a good one to win, because that's yeah. probably still collecting a lot of money. Yeah, it'd be a big payday. Did you ever have people rip your songs off? That you had to deal with them? Um, no, I, I I never have. But in uh, I worked in Nashville writing country songs for a long, a long time, and a lot of times when you're... It's all about the lyrics there. Country songs are really all about the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a great title and premise, you can't copyright a title. Mm -hmm. But um, I've heard titles that um, from other people that I've written with that uh, I've suggested or had you know lyrics. Because a lot of times when you sit down in those sessions, You've got a list, and I go, and, and the, you're sitting around and go, okay, so what are we going to write today? And they, well, here's 
like I got this title, this title, this title, this title. What, what, what do you think? You know, and we write something. But one of the titles that I pointed out before was that person writes the song. You know. Yeah. So that happens a lot. But that's that's not hard to take because it was just a title at that point. Yeah, but yeah, sometimes they're good titles. They're clever, you know, yeah. uh, and they're might you might not have thought of them yourself. Mm-hmm. That's true. So what's it like to write a song? Like, um, what's your what's your? I've written they, a, I've written thousands of terrible songs. How do they come to you? Like the <laughs> songs come to you, or do you work at it? Well, I was at the the joke was I've written thousands of terrible songs. Uh, yeah, but so have I. Um, <laughs> I write really short ones. Yeah, they're, they're not good. I don't know. It seems like the best ones just kind of come from somewhere, and yeah. they come fast. And you got to have that bucket under the under the tap. So you don't uh, yeah. lose anything that's coming out. Where do you think they come from? Um, they come like that. Where they come from? Um, um, it's a hard thing to describe. I, I kind of know what it is, but I, I it's a hard thing to describe. Um, some people. You ever, you ever, um, sometimes if you're not sleeping it well, you wake up and you just kind of feel like tired and groggy and stuff like that. Have you ever woken up sometime and you just say, I slept so well that I feel smarter than I feel. I feel like I could solve pretty much any problem in the world. Mm -hmm. That is kind of like the feeling that you get when you go, okay, this is, I got, this is good. I don't know, you know. I don't know. Does it slide in? Like, do you hear the music then? Do you hear the, the lyrics or a melody or something? Or do you hear lyrics in a melody? Like, what what slides in through you? Like, um, well, sometimes it's a combination of you have an idea and then you chase it. And then all of a sudden, every door opens. Every mistake you made is a happy accident that turns out to be brilliant. Uh, well, maybe not brilliant. I'm exaggerating for no. when it comes to me. But... Um, you know those happy accidents like sometimes uh, i'm producing records and i'll put i'm shifting stuff around and i'm working with midi and i'll push a note and i ah, put it in the wrong place and then wait a minute that's awesome i never would have thought of that one but uh, you did because you put it there yeah so where does that come that's from? that's a conundrum right was it a mistake or was it meant to uh but to, and then you get and then you get on a roll and that snowball starts going down the hill and just gets bigger um but if you're in country music, you thank God for that. I find that, I, I don't know, I find if I think something's really neat that t typically nobody else does. That's a, that happens to me a lot. That happens yeah. to me a lot. Like I'll um, hand in a song to publishers and I'm like, oh man, they're going to love this. This is perfect. It's going to kill it. And... Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, that's good, Chris. Anyway, uh, so he was talking to me. Uh, uh, and then I'll hear something on the radio that is a gigantic hit. And I go, I would have thrown that away. Like, I wouldn't even have chased that. That's so terrible. Yeah. So uh, it, it's tough. And it seems know. like in the industry, they'll take, just because the song's by a certain person, even if the song's maybe not that great, they'll push it. They'll market it into success. Yeah, absolutely. That happens. Those uh, that definitely happens. 
And then there's also the thing where there's songs that I've heard, you probably have heard, that you go, I sound that great. And then you hear it four times and you go, oh, yeah, I really dig this. <laughs> yeah. And then there's things you just hear and yet you, you never. I had a tape kicking around probably from the early 80s as a uh, uh, best of Jerry Jeff Walker from the MCA years. And uh, that, like his live version of Mr. Bojangles uh, had all those big hits on it. And, um, and my brother had it, but we never listened to it. And it sat in a big box of tapes. And for years, I carried the box of tapes around as I got jobs, went to college, got jobs, moved from place to place. And then one day I thought, I'm going to go through this and, so, and just get rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I've never listened to this, so I should listen to it. And boy, was I think my life was just ready for it because that whole album was just brilliant front to back. And it became one of those tapes you, you just put it on and let it go right through. And it's wild, yeah, because... Cause like yeah, I'd never heard of the guy before, never thought about him, and it turns out that he's one of these critical writing people. That like you know he wrote Mr. Bojangles, which everybody has covered and enjoyed forever. You know. Well, when I was younger, uh, I was uh, I was the youngest of seven kids, so I heard a lot of music in my house when I was younger. Um, but my my older sisters listened to a lot of Motown stuff, uh, so I heard a lot of Supremes and Be- and Beatles and stuff like. Well, Beatles isn't Motown, but that's the kind of stuff I heard and uh, made me. But it wasn't until uh, I was in. I remember distinctly in grade eight. I was in grade seven, and this guy moved from Fort Gary to the school where I was, and he was a year older. Uh, and he played drums, and uh, he played drums in the school gymnasium, and all the girls went crazy. And I was like, okay, well, there's something to this mus- musician thing. And then uh, he played me a Jimi Hendrix record, and I just went, okay, that's it. That's what I want to do. Because Jimi Hendrix was so freaking cool. It was kind of like James Bond with a guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was unique, and it was crazy. And it was so far out there that it was yeah. just so fun. It like lit up. It would lit up your musical sky and like fireworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you from, Chris? Where'd you grow up? In uh, Winnipeg. Well, you said you had some rural kind of roots. Well, I live in rural Manitoba now. Okay. So I consider si- this rural. <laughs> You'd be surprised, actually, because um, I've lived here my whole life, and I didn't realize that between Henderson Highway and Highway Fifty Nine. Mm-hmm. Like if you drove up the highway a bit and then turned at the first street, you'd it'd be like going back in time. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. There's like a bunch of back roads back there. Uh, I ride my bike in there all the time. There's very little traffic. And there's uh, if, if I walk across the highway and cut through my neighbor's yard, there's farmer's fields and, and there's a poplar forest and uh, yeah. you'll mm-hmm. see wildlife and uh, it's pretty amazing. And you know it's yeah it's rural. There's a there's a guy who's 93 years old that fixes my lawnmower down there, and mm-hmm. I don't uh, I just drop it off. It's not like I have to pay with a credit card. He's just like well, you know, pay me next time you're in the the, the neighborhood kind of thing. You know, which is pretty rural. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So were you a Jets fan your whole life too? Then growing up. No, uh, I played hockey as a kid because uh, I had older brothers that were really into hockey. So I did play hockey, and I liked hockey until I was 13. 
and uh, then I wanted to be a rock star, and hockey shit was didn't get any girls playing hockey. Um, and then I guess I was in my thirties. Uh, I never watched hockey or was into it. Um, I stopped playing it. Um, and then in my thirties, this friend of mine took me to a Jets game, and the, you know it was uh, it was Edmonton against Winnipeg, and. Uh, Dale Hyrachuk scored two goals, and Wayne Gretzky scored one goal, and it was a two-one game. And I just—it was this epiphany that I had because I actually saw the game a different way. I saw the chess, the -hmm. strategies, and then I was like, "Wow, I really dig this." And I then I started playing again. Then I started watching the stats and like getting really into the game and seeing who scored and uh, and. Um, this sounds really excessive, but I would watch games in slow motion because yeah. I wanted to see exactly what they were doing. Uh, not the whole game. Yeah. When they're shooting off the left foot or the right foot or how did he uh, redirect that pass to the other guy, you know, like all that kind of shit. Had you been a, writing a lot of songs up to that point? Like yeah, I've written songs uh, since I was 15, yeah. Had you had your, like, some big successes before you got back watching hockey uh, like in music and that um like were you really crafting songs yeah like, i think uh, i think that was intensively i think that was uh i think it was yeah i'd been yeah i'd already been in the pumps and working and stuff like that uh so did you see hockey a different way because you had developed a, a craft and and had learned no to... they weren't related at all it was just uh I just went to that game and it was so entertaining and seeing it up close and how fast those guys were because you don't really get that on television. But I'm just but I'm just thinking like your your desire to slow it down and watch like plays develop and stuff it's it's sort of like slowing down a Led Zeppelin record to see exactly how they've built the song. Yeah. You know, you're not just watching the zoom you're analyzing. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. So do you think you had a more analytical mind when you saw that game and, and it just clicked cuz you said, "Oh, this now I know how to analyze things. I know how to create um, stuff. I know how to build. Well, it was up. also I don't think without the passion for it, I would be analyzing it. So I always had the passion for music when I was thirteen. So you know the mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix record. Uh, well, did you go through was, the same thing with music then? Like where you're listening to music and then you thought, wait, I can deconstruct it a bit and see how it how it works, how it got. Like yeah, that. I mean, when I started started learning how to play guitar, uh, I started analyzing it and listening to records, and yeah. And slowing them down? Uh, I don't know if we slowed them down because we couldn't do that back then. I didn't know how to do that. You drag your finger on it a little or something. Yeah, on yeah, the LP, right? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, I guess when you had a tape, you could start doing that. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I know the hockey was just more about a passion and realizing that. And I, th- I think the broadcasters and the, the, the guys that do analysis were all of a sudden got better. Mm-hmm. And the game was... It wasn't just he shoots, he scores, or whatever. Yeah, skate down yeah. the ice and shoot. Like the yeah. actual give and goes, and the passing, and the positional play, and yeah, and the replays became more about a guy describing what happened. Yeah, instead of just showing you again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I went as a as a child, when I watched the Montreal Canadiens and stuff, I just, you know, it was just a guy, yeah, with a good shot or mm-hmm. or long flowing hair when he skated fast. Yeah, Lafleur coming down and just yeah. expecting to score or whatever. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So are you a passionate fan of the Jets right now, or like, yep. do you go to the games? Um, well, I don't have season tickets, but I do. Frankly, I enjoy watching them on television a little bit more now because um, because I can't stop it and go. Mm-hmm. Best my, go to my wife. Did you see that? Did you see it? No, I didn't see that. Well, I'll rewind it. I'll show you. He, he actually took that pass off the opposite skate and put it up to his... And she's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, she'll pretend she's interested and I'll show her it in slow motion. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, she, so she just put up with you then? Or is she, no, she's she never been into or? hockey. Yeah. And uh, but So what does she do while you're watching, while you're sitting there? No, together? that's the funny thing. She's never been into hockey, yeah. but uh, I guess my excitement's got her excited. So when we watch games together... Oh, so she's, she's watching the game with you. Then, yeah, yeah, she knows all the guys. She knows all the players. And she okay. screams at the television. Yeah. I mean, she if I wasn't here, she wouldn't be watching the game. Yeah. But since we're watching it together... Keeps you out of trouble. Uh, so yeah, fun just to have your, your partner uh, share that. Mm-hmm. And do you go to some of the games then, you say? Yep. Which ones? Do you pick them carefully or just oh uh, no it's usually when a buddy calls me and says you want to go to the game or something like that okay uh, yeah um but i have had a couple of friends say uh who have season tickets they'll go uh which games do you want to see and um because i was spending a lot of time in nashville i was kind of a like uh they were my second favorite team and they got good eh? and they got good yeah. and the interesting thing about it surprisingly uh because in the you wouldn't think this would be the case because Nashville's very southern mm-hmm. that they'd even be into hockey, but they are totally into hockey. Yeah, their building's louder than ours because it's the kind of game where you can get into it. Like that game, and then probably a lot of those people might start skating a little bit because now they have rink. Oh yeah, it's a big thing. Hockey's really a big nice. thing there now. Like yeah. a lot of there's a lot of rec. Well, there's a lot of Canadians in hockey, and there's a lot of people yeah. playing rec hockey, and uh, a lot of people enrolling themselves in hockey. Took me a long time to realize that wreck hockey, wreck didn't mean your knees were wrecked. I was always wreck as always older people with like bad back, bad knees from playing as a younger player. That's why you need all the beers so as a beer league. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so fun. Hockey, music. Have they asked you to, to go and play the national anthem yet? No, they never have. Big, the eight string bass solo? No, they never have. I have. Um... I know John or uh, uh, Kevin Donnelly quite well. I said John because John Donnelly is uh, a guy that you played with the Queen City Kids. If you remember that band I years ago, band. and we, oh, we yeah. were you know obviously buddies because we, you know, we're at the same parties and the same social circle and doing the same thing. But his younger brother Kevin Donnelly is now runs True North, mm-hmm. and so he was I, involved with them from the beginning, wasn't he? When they put the arena up and all. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, been he's been involved with, with, with whatever they were called mm-hmm. before that, and he was uh, he's also been a promoter of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he promoted a lot of shows, and and True North does promote a lot of shows. Yeah. So on occasion, I've uh, emailed her. If I run into him, I go, I you know, make suggestions about how they can. Because uh... there's a couple things about going to the games that really bother me. It's a pet peeve. One of them is uh, when we first got the version two of the jets and we had a reputation as being the loudest city right mm-hmm. the fans were the loudest and the building was the loudest and yeah. the team was the old barn eh? huh? the old barn the old arena and then no big. even in the new place in yeah. the new place we were considered the loudest but then i'll never forget one time them going oh you think we're loud now we just got this brand new sound system yeah 
and and you'd go to the games and the sound system was so freaking loud that it drowned the fans out yeah and and when as soon as the like there's a stop in play it's boom 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 with yeah. music it's overwhelming right, right until it's dropped and so yeah. there, there, you can't have this organic fans getting excited yeah. do you remember the chant about you know Dobovetchkin or Gretzky's better and mm. and how they get on the goalies and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean there's all these like special moments organic yeah. chant you know and uh, and then really really loud crowds I remember reading an article by a guy the pseudo knew through some other people he wrote about going to an Ottawa Senators game and it was just he said yeah it's just so over marketed and over loud that it was just obscenely like it was just an assault on your senses and you weren't really getting a, a, to be able to participate as a fan in the game as much or even have a breathing space so it was just like ad after music after it's and it was all loud and yeah, Crazy. well, that, that was in my Dear Pomo post. That's one of the yeah. things I bitched about a couple of times because yeah. uh, I really feel like they're taking the crowd out of the out of the games yeah. uh, and the crowd really wants to be participating. And mm -hmm. even when they have this make noise, they bang a drum and the drum's way louder than people clapping. So you, it's like people... And then yeah, people so, stop making noise because they know there's no point in it. Yeah, so I wrote, I, I wrote Kevin Donnelly an email yeah. saying... Uh, I've made a, I've made a few suggestions. I made a suggestion that that uh, what's her face there? What's this anthem singer there? Uh, Stacy Natris. Uh, that she stops when the true north comes. Hmm. Like stop singing. Give Let the pause. crowd do it. Yeah. Just pause for a second. And they're doing it now. But yeah. uh, I made that suggestion last year. And I also told them to you know talk to the guy who's got this finger on the fucking volume for. Uh, you know, use some discretion. You yeah. don't have to have music cranked all. If the yeah. you know, if you ride think the, the crowd, crowd ride the crest, ride the energy. Yeah, like if nobody, yeah. if it's really quiet and the building's dead, okay, put some music on. Yeah, but give the chance people a chance. And then the I used to love those games, like in the '90s or early 2000s, where yeah, you just have that moment where the crowd would just be yeah, and it's like everybody paused. The guy with the sound system paused, yeah. the music, and everybody, the announcers would stop. Well, they had the organ everybody, players then, and so the organ guy could... No, but even, but even when everybody would just stop in the crowd, would be yeah. like, yeah, because yeah. something would happen, and they would feel that energy. Yeah. And then, so everybody would just back out yeah. and let the crowd have its yeah. that time. And it was just, it's just palpable. It's just like, whoa. Even on TV, you're like, holy, this is yeah. crazy time. Yeah. But now they're all trying to, they're all trying to produce your experience. It's, you know, it's like helicopter parenting. It's, yeah. it's like let the kid go and play in the sandbox. Leave him alone. Yeah, he'll find his way with the other kids. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely not, right. You have to put so, him on yeah, a leash. Yeah, fat beef. So, uh, so yeah. and then and then the last uh, email I sent him was uh, you should use success as the opening theme song for when they come out on. Oh, we were going to use that for the podcast. Yeah, that was my other question. I was going to ask you. Yeah, uh, could we sign over like the rights? Like full time all the time. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a business podcast. We can use it. Oh, I think it'd be great. I'd be flattered. Because we're all into barter and stuff. We're into trading. Yeah, let's do it. Pop. There we go. Thanks for uh, sticking around, sticking it out. You know by now you have to listen to the whole interview, don't you? Because it's all good. <laughs> it's just the way it is. All right. This is Mahangel. You're listening to Manitobaville podcast. It's part of the Manitobaville community that we are creating 
online and over the airwaves and through cables and satellites and man we're just everywhere eh? if you're listening to us in a place that requires a satellite or a, 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 a what is it like a, an ocean an ocean cable one of those cables that runs through the oceans <laughs> or a microwave or uh I don't know. You're plugged in directly to the internet. It's all wires and cables and air. And we thank a lot of smart people in the past helping develop these notions of how things work. And, um, you know, shout out to Tesla. I think he was one of the brightest guys in, in a lot of ways. Um, his technologies led to Marconi being able to steal it and call it his own. <laughs> And of course, Marconi had to live on a boat the rest of his life in the ocean to avoid all of the uh, all of the lawsuits that Tesla was bringing, justifiably. So, yeah, Tesla got to live normally, <laughs> and Marconi, yeah, Marconi was wireless at that point. He was on a boat. He was wireless. <laughs> so, too bad for Marconi. But that's what everybody remembers is, oh, Marconi, the wire Marconi's wireless machine. Nah, built on Tesla's technology that Marconi didn't pay for or acknowledge. So, too bad. Anyway, there'll be a certain small school, I know for sure, uh, in Manitoba. One of those old schoolhouses that has the wrong name. <laughs> it's a completely wrong name. It should be Tesla School. Think about it. And I'm not going to rag on anybody, so just, uh, you know, look us up on social media, look us up on your podcatcher, tell your friends, advertise with us, contact us, find out how, we know how, we'll tell you how. That's a, that's a good through line right there. We will help you out. Okay, um, that's it for today. Thank you to Chris Burke Gaffney for chatting with us, and uh, looking forward to the next episodes coming up. There's a bunch. Keep your ears open, keep your knees loose. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Keep your decoder ring nearby. You never know. Ever, never know. All right. And just a reminder, Manitobaville Podcast is copyright 2022, Rodeo Road Studios. (laughs) 